Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you about health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Bear County in Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts Ron Aaron and nurse practitioner Cora Zhuk will share information that will help you improve your health and wellness. And now, here's Ron Aaron and Cora Zhuk. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to be with you, and our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner, is here as well, a graduate of Texas Tech. We don't know the results yet, I but they know. are in the final four, and we are They're in the final this. two. Well, the final two. <laughs> well, they were in the final four. They were in the final four, now they're in the final two. Now the two. final mm-hmm. two, and they play before this program airs. That's correct. So, so I'm going to assume they win. I, I am too. Guns gonna, up. Going to beat right. those Virginia Cavaliers. That's right. But it's exciting, and it's the first time since the early 90s that a Texas Tech team has been in a national championship game. Correct. And it would be the first time in history that they've ever won. Both teams ever won. So either way, it's a good outcome. So we were in the final two, and uh, if we win, it's it's even sweeter. But if not, hey, we made it there. That's cool. Yes, it is. And you're also now, uh, have to be a fan of UT because you are working on your degree yes. in nurse practitioner. Yeah, my doctorate of nursing practice, right? yes, on the At, executive track. In yes, Houston. In Houston, yes, UT Houston, uh, formerly UT Houston Health Science Center, but they changed it to UT Health Houston now. And yes, working on my doctoral degree and excited, almost one year down and two more to go. That's pretty exciting. It is. Now, we've got a neat guest here who knew your name the minute I mentioned you were the co-host. June Jacobs is a registered nurse, has a bachelor in science, and a certified diabetes educator, graduate of the Louisiana State University in Natchitoches, Louisiana. That's right. I get that right? Natchitoches. You did. You well, thank did. you. You I get an A. You get it's an It's not spelled like that. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, it's really great to have you. And, and one of the things I noted is uh, you have been with uh, WellMed for 15 years, you started when it was a baby little company. I did, many moons ago. What attracted you? I had been on the cancer and hospice side of medicine for quite a few years, uh, and I decided after a little sabbatical with that experience to do something on the preventative side. So I got in kind of sideways doing heart failure case management, but that evolved into uh, disease management and prevention that's an interesting term, heart failure case management. You would rather prevent the heart failure before you needed the case absolutely, management. Absolutely. And that's a lot of what you're doing now. That's what I do now. Absolutely. You also, as a diabetes educator, yes. uh, deal with folks who have to do something that Cora and I know very well, change their way of eating. Exactly. It's got to be simple, right? It's not simple. <laughs> it isn't simple. It's, it's actually a very daunting task for a lot of people. Eating healthy, typically when you say you need to change your lifestyle, the first thing to think about is diet, right? And, and a lot of our patients, when I talk to them, they say, one, eating healthy is expensive, and two, eating healthy doesn't taste as good. And, and I disagree with that. And I think uh, June here would disagree with that as well because, one, we can teach you how to eat healthy on a budget, but we can t- teach you also how to make it taste good. And healthy foods, fruits and vegetables, taste wonderful. And, it, and sometimes it even depends on how they're prepared. Exactly. Got to know how to fix them. Well, just load it up with a bunch of salt. That makes it taste better, right, Jim? Oh, no, no, no. No, <laughs> the, three, the three S's, added sugar, salt, saturated fat. That's what we're looking at, lowering in the sad American diet. Now, without being inappropriate in any way, you look like you eat appropriately. You look like you exercise. You're in great shape. How do you get somebody who is used to not eating well, not exercising, has diabetes, it can kill them through a variety of different ways if they don't change their habits, but they're resistant. I am highly motivated by what I've seen over 40 years in nursing, and uh, we seek pleasure, avoid pain. So I'm trying to avoid pain in a lot of my effort toward uh, disease prevention. But I think an even more important point is when you begin talking with people about their diet, it's very intrusive. Uh, And so I find that uh, the more people know you, the more they trust you and admire what you're doing. So modeling uh, is a great way to do that. And when you can't know someone on an intimate level in one or two sittings, 
anecdotes, uh, getting them to identify with certain stories puts, puts them on your page. And so I've, I have found that to be very effective in teaching. Now, you deal because of uh, the numbers of Hispanics in this area with folks who I happen to be Jewish. We grew up in the same way, eating really fatty foods. Uh, and, and it's the way we were brought up. Exactly. So you're dealing with someone who wants to start the day with a, you know, a couple of bean and cheese tacos and goes on from there. It, it does. But I, I'm convinced that we don't really have to take away the heritage. We can balance those calories by adding two and baby steps, just kind of injecting small little ideas of carrying clementines in your pocket and having a mid-morning snack of fruit is a way to keep the heritage. Uh, Watch portions, the P's and Q's. We want to be sure we portion our food and choose high-quality food with lots of color and micronutrient. We've really Texasized, though, the the culture, if you will. Oh, we have. I mean, you think about it. You go to a restaurant, and and no longer, I I remember when I was a kid, and, and the portion sizes were so much smaller. The plate sizes were so much smaller. Now you go to a restaurant, and you're expecting to get a chicken fried steak that falls off the plate, that's that's larger than the plate. That is not should that should not be in anyone's vocabulary one um you should never go to a restaurant and expect to get those sizes but when you do order those sizes you should expect that that's going to feed the entire family and when you eat you should eat to be satisfied not to be stuffed so i always tell people wear button up pants don't ever wear elastic when you go out to eat and avoid buffets that's something that you can do right off the bat but taking away the culture Think about the Hispanic culture. They were actually a very fit, very fit population. They, one, lived from the land. They grew their own fruits and vegetables, but they also exercised all the time. And we've taken that away. We've Americanized everything. We have to go back to that culture. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But for folks who just joined us, I want to remind you, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner, and registered nurse June Jacobs is with us as well, talking about ways in which nutrition for older adults can make a huge difference, not only in your quality of life, but how long you live. And your suggestion about wearing button-up pants, not those elastic pants that grow with you. Absolutely. It's a good idea. Yeah, they are. They're called grow-with-me pants. You know, you sit down and, and you eat you eat your weight, if you would, and until you're absolutely stuffed. You feel sick when you walk out of there and, and you think, okay, I got my money's worth. But did you really do anything good for your body? Absolutely not. And half the stuff that you ate was complete junk anyway. So, June... You, you're in the business, and we were talking off the air about uh, your strong adherence to psychology and uh, ways in which cognitive approach to foods has to change. You take somebody who's 70, 68, 69, 70 years old, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, uh, who is overweight, doesn't exercise, and, and you have to reach them, connect with them to change their way of living. How do you go about that? There is a tagline to one of my favorite restaurants in town that says, eat good, look good, feel good. And what I've learned over the years about human motivation and learning is that facts are one thing. We don't change our, our behavior necessarily because of facts. We change because of how we feel. And so going back to that idea of uh, relationship with a teacher or facilitator is very, very important. And so while I can't know every single member uh, in one or two sittings, maybe three sittings, I can tell them stories. And when they relate to something I'm saying, saying, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that is hard. So share a story with us. Oh, (laughs) there there are so many. Um, People want to know that they're okay with what they're doing as they are doing it. So there is a principle in uh, education now of meeting members where they are. So again, the taqueria, you do not have to give up your taco. We need to think more about portioning that taco, uh, maybe choosing something different inside of it, and then adding to those calories with something very healthy like fruit. And how do you then explain that to someone with uh, 
uh, perhaps an analogy? Well, in class, uh, I try to get on a very feelings level with patients, uh, acknowledging the fact that as older people, we don't like people messing with our food and all the heads go up and down. No, we don't like that. And then it evolves from there. And I always invite people to share their concerns and do a roundtable before and after the lesson um, kind of to see what their interests are and assess where they are in their uh, health care and their motivation and then wrap up with, did we cover what you were concerned about? Well, Corey, you have talked to us a bit about one of your family members diagnosed with diabetes who figured, well, I'm dead tomorrow. Yeah, you know, they're, they're scared. It's, it's a very, very scary diagnosis for a lot of people, and, and they think of it as a death sentence. And that's one thing that I love about WellMed providers and WellMed ancillary staff and nurses. We, we tell patients, look, this is something that you can live with. This is a diagnosis. You didn't think that you were going to die when I diagnosed you with high blood pressure. Why would you think you're going to die if I diagnose you with diabetes today? So this is, this is a process. This is a learning process. There's a learning curve to the process and we're going to learn it together and we're going to do it together. I share a story all the time. Um, here on WellMed Radio, where I had a patient um, down in one of the rural clinics that I was at within WellMed, and um, and I was seeing him frequently, and, and he is a diabetic, and his A1C, which is his three-month collection of blood sugars, was so high. He was 13.5, and I kept telling him, you know, you're not getting the gold star for this, and then we also would talk about weight, and so he's morbidly obese. He was greater than 400 pounds at the time, and and I said, you know, I don't know. I've been seeing you now for about two years, and I don't know how to connect. I feel like everything that I've been saying, you're not receptive to. Nothing is getting through, and I don't know how to reach you. And he said, look, if I could be honest with you, and I said, absolutely. We've seen each other for two years. We've shared stories. I know his grandkids. He knows who my kids are. He said, you know, Cora, you're not skinny. And I looked at him. And, and when I tell this story, people think, just like you, your eyes get wide. They think, oh, my goodness, did he really just say that to you? And I said, you know, it was almost like my dad telling me that. And my dad would be brutally honest with me. And he would say, hey, look, something's got to change with you, too. And so when I heard him say that, I looked at him for a second. And I said, you know what? You're right. And he says, here you are telling me that I need to lose weight but you're not losing weight. So can we do this together? And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And, and we will do this together. And so we started meeting weekly and we made food diaries. And what ended up happening after six months, he lost a substantial amount of weight and so did I. I lost 60 pounds over six months. And that was just from changing my eating habits. And we were accountable to each other in meeting every week. And in in all aspects of the world, he saved my life, and I saved his. And now his A1C, that was two years ago, his A1C is is down. I think he's below nine at this point, and he's lost about 150 pounds. Now, what's normal so, for A1C? So really and truly, as a provider, we're looking for it to be 6.5, no higher than 7 for absolute control. Um, now, I do see it fluctuate. Medicare says below nine, but as a provider... Nine is too high. It, it, that means your blood sugars are running in the 180s to 200. I would really like to see your blood sugar no higher than 120 in the mornings and no higher than 180 after you eat. That's, that's good blood sugar. And has he stayed on this program? He has because it was a lifestyle change. He walks. He's included his wife, his grandkids now. He raises his grandchild. And so... All of them have changed their eating habits and their whole lifestyle because of this. And it was something so easy to do. But again, none of us had thought about it. And I, I kept thinking I'm banging my head against a wall. But we had to have that come to Jesus moment where the two of us said, we can help each other and here's how we're going to do it. And we made a commitment. June and I were talking before we went on the air about when a provider is overweight and I, I've been working with you now for quite a while. I never saw you as overweight, but you're tall and, and you carry the weight quite well. So I never saw you as fat. Sure. But there are some providers across this city who are fat. They are. And, and you know, I, I often 
ask myself the same thing. How can you ask your patient to lose weight when they're looking at you and thinking you are supposed to set the example, right? So provider heal thyself or do practice what you preach. That is a difficult situation. The same with diabetics. Providers, I know providers who are diabetics who are horrible, horrible controlled diabetics, and yet they want their patients under seven. We're going to come to June in just a moment. <laughs> Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. June Jacobs, registered nurse, our special guest here on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host is Cora Juke. We appreciate you listening to us on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zorniel, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. And that is indeed the beauty of Sunday nights on 930 a.m., The Answer. You hear WellMed Radio at 5 p.m., followed by Caregiver SOS on air. We bring you two hours of great medical shows dealing with caregiving as well as health and wellness for seniors and their families across this community. You're listening now to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, nurse practitioner with WellMed. And our special guest is June Jacobs, a registered nurse and a certified diabetes educator with WellMed. She does diabetes education programs and more, and we're delighted to have you here. Uh, we were talking about uh, the issue of weight and dealing with weight. Uh, providers, for example, who may be indeed overweight, uh, it sends the wrong message to patients. I really appreciate your description of this partnership uh, with a patient, going back to uh, a relationship with a patient, when that patient was able to see that you have vulnerabilities as well and was brave enough to call you out on it, that established that working partnership because he could identify with you. I think that is so, so important. It's pretty gutsy on his part because most of us, whether we like to or not, put providers on a pedestal and rarely open our mouths to ask a question, let alone state what is the obvious. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It took, a, it took a lot of guts. But again, sometimes you have to take that step in order to, one, one to allow yourself to be vulnerable too, right? But at the same time, to save somebody's life, you have to be brutally honest in order to save somebody's life. And so again, he, I, I totally believe that he, he saved my life in that. Um, but you're right. When it comes down to the partnership between the patient, you have to also give them some control. You you can't dictate to them what you want them to do. You have to allow them. I, I call it more of a, a shared a shared model. So shared decision making. You have to give them something. You can't just take, take, take. And that's the beauty of having the diabetic educators because they can help the patient and empower the patient. Here are the things that you need to ask your provider. Let's go back to Diabetes Educator 101. Uh, how does this work? Uh, how many classes do you offer? Uh, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And how do you know we've been successful with the a diabetes education program? Well, as uh, Cora had mentioned, we do have clinical indicators that we go by and do look at and measure things like the A1C, uh, the blood lipids or cholesterol and blood pressures are three very, very big signs. And then, of course, BMI, the body mass index. Uh, we have uh, classes in all the chronic diseases, uh, diabetes included. 
and uh, we have different presentations of the same materials that will suit members' time. We have long, drawn-out classes, and then we have our skills class where they can come in and get exactly what they need to know in one hour and then do meal planning in the next hour. I try to keep them for about two hours at a session so that it's worth their their time and their gas, and it gives me more face time with them. Uh, We encourage patients to support the program um, because... Uh, we are fiscally responsible for them, and I'm very, very frank about that. We pay your bills and share with them our concern. And I have the advantage of having decades in the industry, and it's apparent. Um, I can attest to uh, what's coming. And uh, well, You have beautiful hair that happens to be gray. I thought you dyed it gray. No, I didn't. <laughs> but the kids are doing it now, so I, right. I, I think I'm up to date. You fit right in. I know, I know. But I have great great fun in these classes. And and if it isn't fun, then they're not going to learn. And so where we're shaking a stick at people we know does not work. Fear is not a good motivator. It'll take you to a certain point. But people live in the moment and they're not thinking about four or five years down the road. So I tell them, well, if you mess up on one meal, you know what? We got another meal coming in all likelihood. This is not your last meal today. So that opportunity. Uh, You say shaking a stick at them doesn't work because one of the other areas you are very passionate about is smoking cessation programs. And I remember, you know, not too many years ago, the theory was, well, let's show folks who are smoking what a lung looks like because it's awful. It's black. You can't believe how awful it is. Uh, How many folks did that help quit smoking? Probably not a lot. Probably zero. (laughs) Because even though they know now what smoking is doing to them, There are very, very powerful influences in our brain with uh, serotonin and dopamine, dopamine being our pleasure uh, hormone. That's going to override anything we're doing. And and the same thing translates to our food. We have hormones that are going to win when you're looking at that cookie. You're not hungry. It's hormones that are driving you toward that cookie. And so I could say the same about smoking. Hormones are going to override that. So we've got to get underneath uh, some of the storyline we have as part of our smoking program an hour of support uh, of an hour class and 30 minutes of support where we check in and people can empty their cup of their concerns the world is against them and so with this check-in session people are able to unload their anxieties and then we fill up that cup with some facts I remember I, I went just out of curiosity I sat in on some Weight Watcher classes I was curious how it went on Uh, And and I'm not endorsing that by any means, and I don't go there. But I remember one woman in the class saying how successful she felt because she drove by a Krispy Kreme and the light was on in the window, which apparently means their fresh donuts are made. And she said, you know what I did? I kept going. And for her... That was a huge accomplishment. Yes, yes. And we do use personal statements and affirmations in our smoking program. What is your first thought when you see a trigger that way? We have one member that had a little affirmation that she would say, uh, I don't do that anymore. And that's what she would tell herself whenever she felt the urge. Uh, There's lots of little tricks and and advices that other members can give each other that are very What I did, and and I told you off the air, way back I smoked three packs a day. Uh, And the way I quit uh, was simply a little mind game like that. Uh, If I'd pick up a cigarette, I would say to myself, you know, I choose not to have that one. And the next thing I knew, I wasn't smoking. That's huge, Ron. You know, the other the other thing is is the power we need to recognize is the power of patient to patient interaction. Yes, and that is part of it. It's that peer interaction. When you hear somebody who is also a patient struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with, whether it be eating, whether it be smoking, whether it be drinking, whether it be anything, and you hear them, you can pick things up from them, and you can say, if they did it. So can I. It's one thing for your provider to tell you something. It's one thing for a nurse to tell you something. But that's the beauty of these classes is it allows that peer-to-peer interaction and being able not only to give their affirmations, but to give tidbits of information to say, here's what I did, and I can take that. I can steal shamelessly from you, and I can take that, and I can use that every day. And that is actually what has the biggest breakthroughs for people. 
Now, the yes. scary thing, June, you told me is that uh, the group that is only increasing in smoking now are kids. Children, yes. That's pretty Teen scary because uh, they tell me that uh, nicotine uh, and, and tobacco is as addictive as heroin. Very tough to break that habit. Probably easier to break heroin. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're, they're appealing to the kids. They make them in pretty colors. They make it with vapes and the different flavors. So it's not just like picking up a cigarette anymore. The nicotine is actually delivered to them through a vape. So they may not be getting the tar, but they're getting all the other bad and negative things that are going into their body that are made man-made, you know, we don't know, it's not natural. Um, We don't know what goes into half of these things. And so they're putting those chemicals into their body. And the long-term effects, I I believe, are going to be horrible for these kids. So how do you get somebody to quit smoking? I don't do it. It's nothing that I do at all. It's uh, just providing a forum for people to come And I share with them that over my years of teaching, the most exciting thing for me is when a patient has an aha moment. Uh, Because before they come to class and learn about these things, they're looking at the world through a keyhole. Education and science and motivation, connection opens the door. And when they have that first little uh, breakthrough on a baby step, that just leads to the next step. That baby falls down and gets right back up, and that's what we want. Now, you told me your dad had smoked. He died of lung cancer. He did die of lung cancer. Which is directly attributable to smoking. Yes, yes. And you never smoked. I have never smoked, but I've had dreams about smoking because I remember the smell. So it's still in my psyche. And his death was quite intense, and I cannot describe uh, how difficult it was to be helpless in those last few hours of his life. Were not you an to adult then? Yes, it, this was just seven years ago. Oh, wow. So you're helpless to help someone that you love when they cannot breathe because it was as though we had put 10 pillows over his head and he writhed trying to, to get his breath. So anything that I can do to help families not have to go through that very harsh uh, ending, I, I will show up for. People who participate in smoking cessation classes have made the first step. Yes. They're there because they want to quit. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I, I haven't met many, if any, smokers who want to keep smoking. Well, you catch them in a moment. Yes, we have one member who has been with us for a couple of years. He went from three packs a day down to four cigarettes and held at four for two years. And very recently, he had some health challenges where he could not smoke for a week or two because of an antibiotic. He has completely quit from that event, and he's added to our champion list. Because I I know stories about people who have had a tracheotomy, a slice in their throat so, so they can breathe, who smoke through that. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Smoke through the trach hole. We used to have to escort patients from the bone marrow transplant unit down to the smoking areas of the hospital, pushing their IV poles with them. They were getting chemotherapy for lung cancer and still smoking. Wow. So uh, that, uh, that adverse... Uh, result was not a deterrent. And so I'm of the mind that we do more with motivation and education and science than we do with fear. And you're exactly right, Ron. When you you asked the question was, uh, how do you get people to quit smoking? The the answer is, is we don't. People get themselves to quit smoking. They have to reach that point. They do. And, And it is amazing. It doesn't matter what the disease process is. When people get that light bulb and you see it, it is so rewarding. And you say, they got it. And then they take that and they run with it. Now, they might fall down, just like June said. They might they might backtrack just a little bit, but they have that motivation to say, I know I can do this, and they keep going. And that is so powerful. And those are the short stories that we like to share. And June, uh, I've read uh, reports that smoking even four cigarettes a day is just as bad. Yes. That you need to be zero. Yes. So he finally went to zero. He went to zero, has remained at zero, and we did not push him through that 
two-year period. Mm. He'd show up. I'm still on four. And that was very, very okay because smoking is a learned behavior. You have to learn what to do with your life without that little crutch or buddy that you've had all these years. And that takes some time. And so we're very, very patient. We don't set the pace. We do let them know that a quit date is part of the process, but it's not something that they're accountable to us for. That's entirely personal. I know that if I had one cigarette today, I'd be back where I was. Just one. Yes, there are people who... I don't uh, miss it. Who would I go don't back. smell it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the way you do in dreams. But I know one cigarette, boom, I'd be right back. We we find people in both camps. Uh, we have a young man that attends that uh, said he got in his truck one day and he took a big uh, drag off of his cigarette and he said that it felt so good. He said, I knew something was wrong. <laughs> so he threw it out the window and And, and then stopped. burned the town down and, with a forest and fire. And stopped. <laughs> and since then, he's had an occasional social cigarette, you know, out with friends. But he's able to put it down. So everyone is different. But I might say that there are other things going on with the smoker. We have a lot of interference in our society with the quality of food and the fact that we don't work the fields anymore. I mean, all of that is really against Mm -hmm. health. We have to create ways to get activity and work. I went to a wonderful event Saturday night, a fundraiser for the Winston School San Antonio, which benefits kids who learn differently. And they had the uh, silent auction outside at uh, uh, La Villita. Inside was the dinner. And I was shocked to see a woman older like me light up a cigarette. And it, I just wanted to go over to her and say, what are you doing? But I didn't. It was a surprise because uh, you don't see that as much. Not as much. It, here you don't. But the interesting thing is, is, is I went to New York just a few years ago, and it seemed like Everyone smoked, which was interesting. Every everyone that I stood behind or had to walk behind was smoking, and so I guess it's so you're getting all that side stream smoke. Correct, and it, it just depends on where you go. Now, so many areas of town here in San Antonio are smoke free, and so they make it inconvenient for people to smoke. However. You think that at a physician's office, WellMed, um, at our corporate office, we're smoke-free. However, as I'm getting into my car to come here today, I did see a group of people going down to the back of the building to go smoke. And you would think we are provide, we are working for a medical company, a medical delivery company, yet we're still smoking. We know these things are bad for us, yet we still continue to do it. So it's a process. It's going to take these people a long time. And I do believe that every smoker wants to quit. I don't believe that they, knowing what we know today, I don't believe they would want to continue smoking. We're going to talk more about this, but I want to remind people who may have just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, and June Jacobs, who is our registered nurse, diabetes educator, smoking cessation educator, and all-around great lady. We're talking with her as well, and we appreciate you coming in. 15 years working with WellMed, and you still enjoy it. I still, I am here, yes. Now, for the smoking cessation class and the diabetes education class, they're all free. They're free and open to the public. Don't Uh, have to be a WellMed patient. You do not have to be a WellMed patient. That is uh, extended community service we do to help everyone. Um, There's no shortage. And uh, we try to fill those classes because patients do motivate each other. And so that peer uh, pressure that we see in young people works in reverse with uh, adults where we see what other people are doing. And that's very motivating. And it builds confidence. And we do want people to rate their confidence and their motivation at some of these behavior changes that we're asking you for. You mentioned kids. I'm a big believer that in many ways it was young people who got their parents to quit smoking. They, they really, because what they were learning in school, uh, targeted their parents if they were smokers. Uh, in fact, I had a conversation the other day. The new fire chief, Michael Godovan in Alamo Heights, uh, they're, they're concerned about lack of smoke detectors. Still today, there are homes with either inoperable because they haven't changed the batteries or any smoke detector. And I said to him, you know, we ought to turn the kids loose, go into the schools, get the kids to talk to their parents about how you're going to kill me because we don't have a smoke detector. It's the same with smoking. 
You're going to die before me. I don't want that. Yes. And those children are very powerful motivators. People want to be around for graduations and births of babies and to watch their children grow and develop a career. So they're concerned about that. And so we talk about that in the classes. And, and we know that works because, Cora, I'm sure you've seen it. Dr. Robin Eikhoff, who uh, occasionally fills in for Cora, she and I used to host this show way back before we invented and discovered Cora, for which I am very thankful. But Robin would talk about uh, how people who were terminal uh, would live to the wedding, a daughter's wedding, or would live till their 60th anniversary, or would live through some milestone and then die. Mm -hmm. How do we manage that? You study the brain and you study people's <laughs> motivations. How do people do that? How do they just keep going long enough? Well, that gets that gets into some side conversations that aren't the scope of this conversation. But um, I, I will say that as human beings, we are very, very powerful. And on some level, we are all very, very connected. So those are, are topics that I'm very passionate about. And I really believe that a person's energy walking through the door can change the whole room. And I give the classes examples of someone in this room walked in and they were angry. Wouldn't you know it with, without them saying anything? And all the heads nod. Yes, they know. Because we do feel each other's energy. So um, I bank on that. Driving on the highway when you see somebody flip their finger out the window and honk and yell and scream, I always say to myself, can you imagine being married to them or working with them? <laughs> or sitting in the car with them. Or being in the car with them, exactly. <laughs> My kids have a, a very famous saying with me when they would fight with each other as, as children and young adults. They'd go, ooh, sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's exactly uh, you know what I think. But at the bottom of that, that is pain-driven behavior. Pain-driven. Pain-driven, yes. Meaning? We're always experiencing either love, joy, and unity, or pain and separation, one or the other. That's all that's going on in the world, one or the other. I, I want to come back to food and eating because you brushed over something, and, and I should have come back to it, the three S's oh. <laughs> on food. Three S's. I have P's and Q's and three S's. The P's and Q's are mind your portions and the quality of your food. We want lots of color that have those phytonutrients that do those little locks and keys and make traffic stop and go in your body. And then the three S's are the things that we, not by any fault of our own, are loaded with. And that's going to be added sugar, uh, saturated fat, and salt. Because when we process our food, we take all the micronutrient and taste out of it. Then we spice it up with sugar, fat, and salt. So I encourage people to be adventurous with their palate and go eat at an ethnic restaurant, try a new food, and expand the gut microbiome, that healthy bacteria that is the platform for carbohydrate, protein, and fat metabolism. It was interesting when uh, uh, cities begin to look at sugar and begin to go after sugar, the soft drink manufacturers go crazy because there is so much sugar in a 12-ounce can uh, of a soft drink, you wouldn't sit there and eat spoonfuls of sugar, would you? No, you, you wouldn't. But there are, unfortunately, food scientists in the food industry that have figured out ways to disguise these uh, culprits in our diet and get them past the palate. And we, our brain changes, and we begin to seek uh, those kinds of foods, but they don't nourish the body. In fact, they cause inflammation and weight gain and all the things that we're looking to correct. Uh, now, I read labels, and, and I'm assuming they're accurate. You never know. <laughs> but I'm assuming if it says X grams of sugar, X grams of carbohydrates, and, and uh, somebody's we, making sure that's accurate we, or not. We should assume, um, but there actually is a gastroenterologist out of Australia who is uh, going to town on looking at the accuracy of food labels. It is a very good starting point, and the food label changed. Uh, so now we're really looking at calories because we don't have work built into our day, uh, and we know that calories overload our liver. So that's that's a good starting point is reading that label and finding 
finding out what's in the food. And if it has more than two or three, five ingredients, then we aren't really even getting the food. We're getting a lot of chemicals. And, and the po- knowing the power of where your food came from is, is huge. You know, there's, a, there's the organic movement. Everybody wants to go organic, and we're looking at pesticides. But when it's, we're talking about the meat that people eat, you know, you, you really got to know where your meat comes from. You've got to ask questions. And by law, the grocery store actually has to deliver the answers to you. People don't understand that, but they ha- you have to know where you got your meat from. So, you know, when you were talking about buying from mass distributors, most of our beef, and I know this because my kids raise beef, uh, most of our beef, they go and whether it's in stock show and, and they're pumped full of all different types of feeds and, and different implants and hormones and things like that, you have to have hormones. Beef are given hormones, which in turn almost act as a steroid for our body if they're not detoxed appropriately. So when we eat it, what do steroids do? When we're on steroids long term, we gain weight. Why? Because it stimulates the appetite. It makes us want to eat. It is a hormone, in fact. And so when these these beef products are not properly pasteurized, I guess, by putting these cattle out to pasture and allowing them to eat natural grains and grass, we in turn don't detox them. So we end up eating this this laced meat, if you will. Same with antibiotics that the are shot into us. The some same with antibiotics. And so, you know, the law is becoming um, a lot more stringent on, especially in stock show, on things that you can and cannot put into these these live animals in order to show them. And they do drug test uh, because the consumer is the one that suffers. And that's why I, I tell my kids, I say, we always have one cow that we 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 breed ourselves and we we let them grain um, and grass feed and we don't inject them with anything and then we process that ourselves because then I know exactly where my meat is coming from but most people don't have that luxury when you go to fast food half the time what you believe is meat is actually mixed with oatmeal to make it look like meat to to pack it into a meat form and so you're in fact not only getting the steroid from the part of the meat, but you're also getting a lot of carbohydrates as well. So there's a lot of education that needs to go into teaching people about the right choices. And when you go to a grocery store, avoiding anything processed or enriched is where you need to go. Processed meaning? Anything that's been processed through like like meat, for example, if it is if it is um, formed, if meat is formed, like frozen formed, if they take turkey and make a turkey loaf, that is processed meat. They're taking bits and pieces of, of mechanically separated meat and oatmeal products, and they're mashing it together. Turkey doesn't look like a loaf of bread. It just doesn't. Really? It, it really doesn't. Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> and chicken doesn't, doesn't look like nuggets either. That's just not what it looks like. And so we need to become more educated as consumers as far as where, where's our, where are our products coming from and buy them in their rawest form if possible. Now, June... Recently, under uh, really federal law, restaurants are required to put calories on their menus. Is that helping people? I think it does help. Uh, I always look. The average uh, calorie count is 2,000 calories per day, and that would be uh, for a woman who's very, very active or a man who's very inactive. So the way I divvy that up for patients so that they can understand it is if we divide 2,100 by 3, about 600 calories per day, um, and then take it from there. Then if you have a piece of cake for dessert and that cake is 200 to 350 calories, that's half a meal, and they get that. So putting it into context for them is very, very helpful. We eat more calories than we burn. That's just a fact, although there are many, many inputs to uh, weight gain. Calories are a very significant one. We need to be more aware. We, as a nation, eat too much. We do. We do, and not our fault, um, because, again, uh, they're very powerful. The food companies have very powerful lobbies that um, that win, basically. So there are usually 1-800 numbers on your food products. Call that number and give them your opinion or say, I really like your product, but it, it has a little bit too much salt for me. Uh, and give those inputs, because it, it's we can't rely on the food companies to do the right thing because of the economics of our food industry. And And that may be out of our control, but what is within our control is the ability to exercise. Even if you're just sitting at home 
and cannot get up off the couch or cannot get up off the bed, you can still exercise. There are things that you can do. Inactive people can exercise, whether it's taking soup cans and moving your arms around, whether it's standing up and sitting down on the couch during commercial breaks. There's always something that you can do to exercise. Do those squats. Do the squats. Well, if you, and if you can't, we have a lot of elderly who cannot do our cannot do the squats. I know that the physical therapist was having you do squats, but for those people, well, who Dr. Eikhoff's a big believer in squats. Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. That that's part of her punishment when people don't get questions right when she's giving a test. Um, oh, is that right? When she yes, does, yes, when uh, she does provider uh, onboarding, if you didn't I get love the question it. right, you have to do squats. <laughs> um, but but people need to understand that, and I hear it all the time. I can't exercise. Things hurt. We're going to exercise so that they don't hurt, and we work through that together. See, that's counterintuitive, though. Uh, If it hurts, how is exercise going to make it better or want to make it hurt more? That's a good question. It's a great question. We'll get the answer in a minute right here on WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zorniel, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. Well, The Answer is, if you want to do it, you can exercise. You can watch what you eat. You can quit smoking. We're talking about that and more today on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Nurse practitioner Cora Juke and our special guest from WellMed, June Jacobs, who is a registered nurse and a certified diabetes educator. She goes out to clinics and provides all kinds of educational programs. And we were talking about, and I don't want to leave people all depressed, because uh, when, when you deal with smoking or you deal with diabetes, you deal with uh, various forms of heart disease, uh, folks are not happy. They're, they're depressed. How do you lift them up and getting moving in the right direction? Part of it is going to be a teaching principle that I really believe, and that's meeting people where they are. I recently uh, developed a, a program, a WebEx program for clinical updates, and talked about non-activity thermogenesis in the body. And that's where we just put a little bit more power into whatever we happen to be doing. People who fidget tend to be more slender than people who don't. And so part when June runs the world, there will not be handicapped spaces. You're going to walk that parking lot, taking stairs where you can, hanging clothes, playing with children and pets, uh, extending that walk to the mailbox. And I actually had one member in a fatty liver disease class that said, you know what I do? I take each garment and I walk it to the bedroom room separately so that I can get in extra steps in the day. So if we can get people to put a little bit more oomph into their daily life, that's a starting point. So she undresses in the living room and then brings her clothes <laughs> one by one into the bedroom. It, well, she takes them out of the dryer oh, and, okay. and to the living room and then walks them individually to, to Interesting. put them in the, And she came with that, up with that herself. She Yes. When I explained about the non-exercise thermogenesis, she piped in and said, well, here's what I do to get those extra steps in per day. So meeting people where they are and having a victory on a baby step opens the door. Uh, a lot of what's needed is confidence to be able to do something differently. Sure. And that's where the peer support is really helpful. I tell you what, get a new car and then you will definitely put in the steps. I know I did. I bought another, bought a vehicle and I park it so far away because I don't want anybody to ding my doors that I oh, end up walking to get my steps <laughs> in. You know, but you're right. 
anything that you can do, especially in the home. I've started doing that. You know, I've I've started putting my clothes away. The same thing. You know, it I'll adds up. I'll take them in and I'll take my clothes and I'll put them on the bed, my husband and I's clothes, and and I'll take each one and I'll take it to the closet back and forth, and I take my kids' clothes. And and used to I had them hang them up. Now I'm doing it so that I'm walking back and forth more times. It's anything and everything that you can do, but you also have to get your heart rate up too. Yes. It's getting warmer outside. We need to go out and enjoy the outdoors. If we're not going to enjoy the outdoors and we need to go to a store, I tell people in Walmart, get your basket, do a whole lap and not strolling. Power walk around the entire store. You have something to hold on to before you start shopping. Get your laps in, get your exercise in before you start doing your leisurely stroll. Well, some folks do mall walking for the same reason. Mm -hmm. And you better be careful because I have been in the mall early in the morning when the mall walkers are out and you'll get run over. Those people are serious. And and I wish more of our patients would join them. They have a a huge group here in San Antonio who meets at the different malls and walks together. And it's great social activity as well. Well, June, we've got about a minute left. Best advice you can give to folks who are listening about getting control of how they manage their bodies. I'm going to go back to that tagline that I like so well, eat well, feel good, or it's eat good, uh, feel good. What was the other one? Eat good, Good, feel feel good, good. look good. And look good. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And you have to learn how to eat well. Yes. Yes. We have a lot of uh, forces against us, and sometimes it's something as close as your connection technologies that are taking away from uh, daily activities that we used to do years ago, and now we have a computer doing it. I grew up on meat and potatoes. There wasn't dinner unless you had meat and potatoes. A food pattern that we want to revisit. Uh, And our um, food policy now is to not concentrate so much on a particular food, but look at what we're doing overall, and that's called changing the food pattern. So we want to shift away from that a little bit and watch those three S's and uh, mind our P's and Q's. Well, I like that. And if folks want to learn more about your classes and where they're available, how do we find out? Um, we have a website, wellmededucation.com. Uh, they can email us Perfect. or call WellMed and ask to be connected to the education department. Uh, we have a referral desk, and we'll get you a, a class in your neighborhood. And, and again, patients, you don't have to be a WellMed patient. No, and patients need to ask their PCP, where can I get these classes and how do I get in? Perfect. June Jacobs, thank you. You're a delight to talk with. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, you being here. And I bet you're a hit with all your classes. That's cool. I have fun. Cora Juke, another one in the can, although nothing goes in a can anymore. <laughs> it's in a machine somewhere. I'm Ron Aaron, along with nurse practitioner Cora Juke. We thank you for listening to WellMed Radio. We'll talk with you soon right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio, an exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to wellmedmedicalgroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.